Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We are in this series, Word to the Wise, and we're coming to the end. We've got today and next week, and, and then it's over. And I have just had, I got a text yesterday from somebody that said, man, this, this one question has changed my life, um, just how much it, it matters in, in the way we live life. This has been a good one. The title of this series has been Word to the Wise. If we were going to give it like a subtitle, it would be the question that answers just about everything because we really believe that it is true. The question, what is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? That is such a game changer when it comes to living life. And we've been asking this question in sort of a kind of a three-dimensional way. You know, in light of my past experience, in light of my current circumstances, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? Because all of us have a different past. All of us have varying different circumstances that would dictate that one thing might be good for you, isn't good for me. So we have to, you know, kind of consider that. And then in light of what we, where we want to be and what we hope to have happen to us in our life, uh, light of my future hopes and dreams, what, what, what is the wise thing for me to do? The question takes us beyond right and wrong, which is a good question, but this is a better question. It takes us beyond what is legal, way better question than that. We're all accountable to what's legal. It's, it's better than the question we asked when we were in middle school, you know, do I have to, and what's the least amount I have to do to be able to get away with it? Um, this question takes us to a place where if we're honest with ourselves and if we allow God to, he will drive this into the deepest parts of us so that when things come up, we will begin to ask this question and therefore make better decisions. It enables us and empowers us to get the full potential out of our life, which is really what, why you're here. You, you come to, to get better, right? You come to worship and lift up the name of the Lord and you come to be encouraged and you come to be taught something. And so we, we want you to reach your full potential for God. Now, all of us have regret and, and all of us would like to uh, to look back on a season or a, a place in our life and be able to go back and change things, a spring break, maybe a, a previous city or a previous marriage or a, a previous college experience and ask this question, what is the wise thing to do? You think to yourself, man, if I was in college, if I just asked that more often, <laughs> what kind of regret could I have avoided? But when we look back on those seasons and we look back on the greatest regrets, you know, let's face it, nobody really wants to do that. That's not fun. Nobody wants to look back on the, the, the bad parts of their life, and, and a lot of times they're bad because we made them bad because of the decisions we made. But isn't it true that when you do that, you ask yourself questions like this, how could I have been so foolish? And, and you say things like, I should have seen it coming. Why, why didn't I see that coming? If I just paid attention to the things that he said, he gave me so many clues if I just listened to her in that interview process, if I just had thought to ask a couple of questions there, man, everything would have changed. It would have been different. I should have listened more closely to that salesman and some of the things that he said. Why didn't I, you know, how could I not have seen that coming? All of us look back and we think, I should have seen this coming. Now, if you should have seen it coming, chances are good that there was someone in your life who did see it coming. And either you didn't listen or nobody warned you. And the reason that they probably didn't warn you is they didn't think you would listen. I think you should tell her. I'm not telling her. You tell her. I'm not telling her. She won't listen to me. Okay, then we won't tell her. Right? 
What if we all get together and we have an intervention and we get out in his front yard, you know, and we just come to his house and we say, man, you can't marry her or you can't, you can't take that job. Ah, he won't listen. Why would we do that? He's not going to listen. I guarantee you when you look back at your biggest regrets, the things that you wish you could have a do-over, and you say, why didn't I see it coming? I promise you somebody saw it coming. And if you're 17 or 18 years old and you're kind of dealing with some high school or college thing and you're thinking, why didn't I see it coming? I almost guarantee you that somebody in your house sees it coming. And they probably thought and thought about a way they could say something to you in a way that you would be receptive to it. Kids, if you've ever had your mom come in and sit on the corner of the bed and she just sits there and looks at you, you know, just smiles and you're like, what are you, what are you doing? Oh, I just wanted to spend some time with you. No, she's trying to figure out how to say something to you, right? Or you've got a dad who just takes the direct approach and he goes in for the kill and destroys everything about you and makes you mad, right? He's trying, he's, that's what's going on. He sees something, he's trying to say it and you don't want to hear it. If you're a student and you live at home, this is the challenge between you and your parents. And your parents can't help it, especially mama. Mama has your whole life already planned out. She knows how many kids you're going to have, what sex they're going to be, what their names are going to be, right? She knows what colleges they're going to. She's got it all figured out. And in the back of, of your mind, you, you, you know, you've, you've been planning for life, but mama's been planning life. And those two things don't always line up. And she's got some stuff to say. And when they come to you and they tell you what they see, see, if we, didn't, if we don't see it coming, then it's either we didn't listen or no, nobody warned us. If that's true, then, then here's the question that needs to be asked, and this is a big question, and this sets us up for kind of where we're going today. Why is it that we can see it, but somebody, we can't see it, but somebody else can't? Or let's turn it around and ask it this way. Why am I able to see trouble in your life, but you can't? Or let's say it another way. Why are you able to see trouble in my life, but I can't? See, what I know is, is exactly what you should do and you don't. And you would say the same thing. Brett, this is what you need to be doing. And, and I, sometimes I just, I can't see it. And, if, and, and why, if I told you my story, would you know exactly what I should do when maybe I don't know? Because I'm like you. I don't want to go through another season of my life and look back on this season and say things like, how could I have been so foolish? Why didn't I see this coming? I don't want to look back on my life and see more busted relationships. I don't want to make more bad financial decisions or professional decisions or parenting decisions where you overreacted or you underreacted to something. You decided we're going to move in and, and you know, we're going to make this work and then all of a sudden you look back on that and you're like, what in the world was I, why did I do that? I don't want to look back on any more of those. You don't want to look back on any more of those. But the truth is there are just some things that we cannot see coming you can't but somebody in your world can here's part of the reason why emotionally charged environments are not ideal for decision making they're just not and just about every decision making environment is in an emotionally charged environment especially the big ones isn't that true when you've got big decisions to make the emotions start getting involved in it and the more the emotions start getting involved in your decision-making, it starts to cloud the decisions that you have to make. Emotionally charged environments are not great for decision-making, and yet every big decision 
involves emotions. So what happens is our emotions make what is obvious less obvious. We just can't see as well. So when it's you, the emotions just kind of fog up the entire uh, decision-making process. But if it's me looking at your situation, I can get above the clouds. I I can see more clearly than you. I can see what's going on because the emotions don't affect me the way they affect you. And I can see obstacles and avoid those where sometimes maybe you can't because you're in the fog. You're in the middle of the storm. And you can't always see it. And you say, oh my goodness, what, you know, what should I do? What should I do? And all your friends are like, really? You can't see what you should do? No. No, I don't see it. And here's why. Because emotions make decisions difficult. And every major decision is accompanied by the peril of emotions. This is why it's most likely for most of you in here, I wouldn't say for all of you, <clears throat> but for a lot of you in here, I could manage your money better than you could because you would want to buy something. If I had your checkbook and your credit cards, you wanted to buy something, I'd say, no, let's wait till next week. No, I want it now, right? I want it now. Just, just let me get it. No, because we'll get to the next week and you, you'll, this, this moment will have passed. The emotion of this moment will have passed and you'll have the money that you would have spent on that. You'll still have it. And it's, it's just a better decision to wait. But please, no, but I want it. You know, we'd stamp our feet. See, every parent gets this. You went to the store with your kids, and you had them by the hand, you know, and you're walking along, and you don't realize it, but the store has put everything that's delicious and everything that's shiny about two feet off the ground, right? And the whole time you're walking through the store, your kids are snagging stuff off the hooks, and then you look at them, and they've got, they've slobbered all over this thing. And see, now here's the problem. They have become emotionally attached, right? They've hugged it or whatever. Isn't there a thing where if you lick it, it belongs to you? Something like that. And they've done everything to make it theirs. And they're like, Mom, Dad, Mom, Dad, you know, oh, I want this. Can we take this home? And you go into parent mode. Put that down. Put that back. Where'd you get that? You know, where'd you get that? And then you leave it on an end cap somewhere and hide it so you hope nobody sees and you push the cart away as fast as you can. And you say things like, you've got 12 of those at home and you never play with them. We're not, we're not you don't need another one, right? That's when, you, that's when you realize you sound just like your mother. So you have such great objectivity and you make way greater decisions when it comes to your family and your kids then you can sometimes when it's you, because you control the money, you make better decisions. Did you know that you never outgrow that? That thing that, that little kids do where they, they touch it, they get it, and they, it become, they own it? You never outgrow that. We do that with the decisions we make. We, we emotionally fall in love with certain things, certain ideas. Oh, I would look so good in that car. You can't afford that car. I know, but I would look so good in that car. And then you drive the car, and you're like, oh, this car feels so good. It's why when you go look at a new house, the realtor says, where would you put the couch? Oh, the couch would go right here. <laughs> right? You've already pointed out where you know where everything's going to be, because in your mind, you've already moved in. And they know if they can get you to mentally move in, you're emotionally attached. The decision gets easier for you to make now. 
And if I was holding your wallet or if I was holding your checkbook and I said, you don't need that, let's go home, you've already got one of those. I'd make way better decisions about your money than you would. Here's the thing, you would make better decisions than me. I am the king of the impulse buy. I am. I see it. Well, I don't have one of those. I want one of those. I'm going to get that. There's nobody in my life to go, Brett, no, (laughs) don't do that. Didi is the person in my life who says, do you really need that? And with her, I just, you know, I just bat my eyes a couple of times like, yes, I really need it. Okay. You know, she's, she's powerless to stop me, I guess. I don't know. Financial decisions are not emotionally neutral decisions. Our our emotions get involved. Same is true of marriage counseling. You could do marriage counseling. You could sit for an hour and listen to somebody and, and that person just, you know, at the end of it, you would look at one of them and you would say, it's obvious, stop doing that. Just stop doing that. That's, the, that's, the re, that's what's brought you in here. Right? You, I, I can sit and listen to a wife, and she says the same thing over and over. Whenever he, whenever he, whenever he, and I'm looking at him, and he's like not hearing that, and I'm like, dude, stop doing that. That's what's got you in here. That thing she keeps saying, whenever he, lock into that and do that. See, you could do that. Sir, don't do that anymore. It's, it's simple when it's you. It's simple when you're not involved. It's simple when you're the objective third party. Same is true of our kids, right? You know exactly what to do with your neighbor's kids that are a, uh, that are a train wreck, right? It usually involves Niagara Falls in a barrel, right? Right? I hate when it does that. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm joking. Kinda, I'm joking. Sorta. Actually, it was Mark Twain's idea. Let me show you this. I love this quote by Mark Twain. When a child turns 12, he should be kept in a barrel and fed through the bunghole until he reaches 16, at which time you plug the bunghole. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, I'm sorry, 16-year-olds. Maybe we should wait a year. Maybe wait a year. I love the story of two men that are talking over a fence in their backyards. One of them's a father, and he's got a little boy, and all of a sudden, the little boy comes busting out the back door. He's got a hammer in his hand. He walks up to his bicycle, and he just beats the holy crap out of his bicycle, and he says all kinds of words he's not supposed to say, and it's hateful to his dad, and he throws the hammer to the side and mouths off to his dad and walks into the house, and the old guy across the way that's not the father looks at the, looks at the father, and he says, you know, if that was my son, I'd go in there and whip his britches. And the father looks back and he says, yeah, if he was your son, I'd do that too, right? (laughs) Some of you don't even have kids and you're single and you look at the way parents parent their kids and you think, I would never, I would never. I'm guilty of that. My sister had three kids before I ever had the first one. And I, you know, I was in Bible college. I thought I knew everything about everything, especially if it had anything to do with scripture and everything has something to do with scripture. So I thought I knew everything. So arrogant, so full of pride. So God, God has spent a lifetime knocking me down a peg, right? It still continues to this day. But I remember saying to my sister one time, when I have children... I'm not going to call them kids. Kids are what you call a goat. And she rolled her eyes and looked at me and said, oh, please. 
And now I call my children kids <laughs> because I've learned. You know, I mean, you just think you know so much when you're young. It's so difficult. It was so easy before we had kids. And then all of a sudden we have kids and it's like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> you know, somebody help me. I'm in a fog. We live in a fog for 18, 20 years trying to figure out what to do with our kids. I used to hear my mother. She would say, I made so many mistakes with you guys. And I would look at me and I'm like, what kind of mistakes did you, let I me mean, look at me. You know, I told you, God spends his whole life just taking me down. Like, Mom, what's wrong with me? She said, Brett, I made so many mistakes with you guys. Well, now, my kids are grown. And I look back, and I can see, with the, the aid of hindsight and looking back, I can, and wisdom, I can, you know, I think to myself, man, I get it. I understand what Mom was saying. I, I made so many, I wish I could do some of that over I wish I, I wish I could go through some of that because isn't it true that when you're in the middle of it, it's just, it's foggy, it's emotional, you don't always know what's the right thing? Why is it so hard now? It's hard because parenting is emotional, marriage is emotional, money is emotional. And that's why we look back and we have extraordinary clarity and we say things like, why didn't I see that? And you didn't see it because you were in the middle of it. And the emotion fogs our judgment because there's lust and anger and greed and jealousy and bitterness and envy and all these things that cloud our judgment and make decisions hard. So here's the question. What is the wise thing to do when emotions are high and appetites are inflamed? If we really want to look back and we really want to say, okay, I want to make a wise decision in light of my past experience, current circumstances, future hopes and dreams. I want to make wiser decisions with fewer regrets and fewer tears. I don't want to waste any more money, but I don't know what to do because this is an emotional situation. What does a wise person do? In an emotionally charged environment where there are appetites that are inflamed and, and we, are, you know, we have our eyes and our heart on something or somebody and, and, and there's a decision to make, and the answer is one word. Listen. Listen. Because you don't see it coming. But I guarantee you, somebody in your life, <clears throat> somebody in your world does. And the wise person in those circumstances listens. In fact, wise people recognize when they are in no condition to decide for themselves, by themselves. Those are wise people. Wise people hit the pause button, and they say things like, uh-oh, this is emotional, I'm probably going to make the wrong decision if I just lean on me, I need to get some help. Uh-oh, I'm mad, I need, I need some advice, I need somebody to step in and help me and, and, and talk to me. Uh-oh, I'm lonely, I'm prone to go fill in the blank, whatever that is, I should probably listen to somebody else. Wise people recognize when they are in no condition to decide for themselves, by themselves. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> there are people right now that are saying, boy, this is accurate. I remember when. I remember the emotion of it all, and I just kind of went with the flow, and I followed my heart, which is really bad advice. If somebody ever tells you to just follow your heart, it's not great advice. 
If you just follow culture and follow your heart, I promise you, you're going to end up someplace when you look back that you didn't want to be. And you're going to be saying things like, I wish I should have seen it coming. And the key to responding to situations where you think you might not see what's coming is to listen to somebody else who does. Now, King Solomon of the Old Testament was considered one of the most wise men who ever lived, and he ruled at the height of Israel's wealth and power. Their land acquisitions were as broad as they would ever be under King Solomon. And God, as we will see in a moment, God gave Solomon wisdom. He didn't have to earn it the hard way like you and I do. You know, they say, um, how do you keep from making mistakes? Wisdom. How do you get wisdom? You make lots of mistakes, right? We earn our wisdom. Solomon didn't have to do that. God said, you know what? I'm going to, some people, I'm just going to give them the gift of music. I'm just going to give them the gift. I mean, my son is one of those people. He, instruments are easy for him. Music comes easy for him. He loves it. I love music, but I do not have the gift of music. Some people, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the gift of math. You're just going to know math. If you want to ever watch me get really uncomfortable, if we're ever in a meeting or some place where some problem comes up and we're trying to solve it in our heads, I suddenly have a phone call or a text I need to send or something because I cannot do that, okay? I do not have the gift of math. That's why I'm in ministry. They didn't make me take math classes in Bible college. I took Greek instead. That's how bad I hate math. I was willing to take Greek at 7 in the morning, okay? And God said, you know what, Solomon? I'm going to give you whatever you want. What is it that you want? I'm going to give you the gift of wisdom. Solomon said, he was so wise. He had a reputation of, you know, he was rich, but that really wasn't his main reputation. He was, he was powerful, but that wasn't his main reputation. His main reputation was he was wise. Here's what we read in 1 Kings. God gave Solomon wisdom. And you're like, that's not fair. I mean, we got to earn it. We got to make dumb mistakes to get wisdom. Not Solomon. As a kid, as a teenager, God gave him wisdom. Look at this. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand of the seashore. And And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. Solomon, the king of Israel, was known for his wisdom far and wide. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. So here's what would happen. The kings and other nations would would have a decision that they need to make, and they would call in one of their messengers, and they would take a couple of donkeys and load it up with gold and silver, and he would write out this question, this dilemma that he had, this thing, and and he he would give it to this person. He would say, take this and take it to, the, to King Solomon, give him this gold, give him this silver, ask him this question, and come back to us with the answer. And they would go, and they would stay for days, sometimes weeks, sometimes months. They would wait for an audience with King Solomon so that he could give them the answer, because he, could, he had this ability to hear a situation, to be able to, in very short order, to, to his, his judgment was so impeccable, his knowledge, and it's so vast, he was so smart, he had extraordinary wisdom, Now, here's the good news. You don't have to get in line. You don't have to empty the bank account and pay it to Solomon for his wisdom. He wrote it all down. He wrote a lot of stuff. In in Scripture, he he wrote a a, a book called Song of Solomon, which if you're 
If you're over 40, you really like, and if you're under 40, you read it, and you're like, why is this in here? <laughs> he wrote Song of, uh, uh, Song of Solomon, which is, um, did I just say that? I said that wrong, didn't I? Ecclesiastes. He wrote Ecclesiastes, and if you're over 40, you're like, wow, this is really cool. And if you're under 40, you read it, and you're like, I, what, what's, this, what's going on here? Song of Solomon is about sex. Do you want to read your Bible yet? <laughs> read Song of Solomon. And then he wrote the Proverbs. And, and, and he draws upon this vast wisdom that God gave him, and he just starts spinning out all these um, one-liners, one after another. And, and here's the interesting thing. The wisest man in the world said more about outside counsel than any other ancient writer, either biblical or secular. He said more about it. The man who needed counsel the least wrote and spoke about counsel the most. There are going to be situations, and, and you're going to see it, you're not going to be able to see it coming, but somebody else can, and, and, and Solomon was constantly saying, there's somebody that can see it better than you. And if you're wise enough to invite them into your decision-making, you will gain the clarity you need to make the decisions that you're trying to make and make a decision that you don't look back on years later and say, man, what was I, why did I do that? Why, why did I make that decision? I would encourage you, Proverbs has 31 chapters. I would encourage you just for this, you know, to pick a month and, and for 31 days, get up every day and read one proverb and read through the book of Proverbs in a month. And I think that at the end of that, you may have established a habit that would be good for you. you you're, you're most certainly going to get some wisdom and some knowledge about God. You're probably going to make better decisions. You're probably going to find some things that you can repeat over and over to help you with the decision making that you have going on in your life. I'm just going to spin a couple of these out for you real quick from Proverbs. Proverbs 9, instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Proverbs 1, a wise man will hear and increase in learning and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. He'll seek it out. He'll pay for it. He'll, 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 he'll figure out a way to get wise counsel. Here's kind of a negative twist on the same idea. The way the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. We all know somebody like this, right? You can't tell him anything. He thinks he knows everything. That's a fool. A fool thinks they know everything and won't listen to anybody else. He says the way of a fool is, is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. A fool says, I don't need any help. I don't need any advice. I don't need your book. I don't need your tape. I don't need your CD or your streaming, whatever it is. I see everything I need to see. I don't need anybody to help me. I've got full vision. I can make my own decisions. And he says, Be, uh, but a wise man listens to wise counsel. They never get to the place where they think they're so wise that they don't need anybody else. Proverbs 15, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Invite people in to give you advice. Proverbs 19, listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, future hopes and dreams. At the end, you will be counted among the wise. Would you like to be wise? Yeah. Well, then ask for wisdom. Seek out wise people. Spend time around wise people. Listen to what they say. How about a relational proverb? Proverbs 13, where there is strife. In fact, I want us to say this one together, and I want you to really pay attention to that first blue word, okay? Let's say this one together. Where there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. Think about that. Where there is strife, there is pride. 
The story of Solomon starts off really well. He says, God, I'm, I'm a kid. I'm the ruler of this nation. I don't really know what I'm doing. God says, I'll give you anything you want. And Solomon says, can I have a PlayStation? No, it's not what he said. Can I have a skateboard? No. No. God, can I have wisdom? Can I have, can I have knowledge? Can I have understanding? Would, would you give me that? And God said, you've got it. And things started off really well. He asks for wisdom, he gets it. Then at the end, Solomon ignores his own advice and he, he won't take advice from anybody. He starts going it on his own. And he starts thinking, hey, if the whole world lines up to hear from me, if I'm the one that gives advice to everybody else, what am I gonna, who am I going to talk to? Why would I ask anybody else for advice? And even though he spent his whole career saying, no matter how smart you are, you need to go out and get advice from somebody else, he did not even take his own advice. And Solomon decided, since I'm the wisest person in the world, I don't need to listen to anybody. And he made terrible decisions. In fact, the summary of the life of Solomon could be this, one of the wisest men who ever lived that made some of the dumbest decisions you've ever seen. He wrecked the economy of Israel, even though it was as strong as it had ever been under his reign. He undermined the military authority of Israel, even though it was as strong as it had ever been under his reign. He set the next generation of his family up for failure because he made horrible decisions, went out and made horrible treaties with other nations, and completely devastated them. The prophets warned him. God tried to warn him. The law of God tried to warn him. The people around him would have tried to warn him if they thought he would listen, but he wouldn't listen. He decided, listen, I'm the smartest person in the room. I know what I'm doing. I don't need your help. He did what many of us do. He undermined his own success. And in his case, and this could be true of you, he undermined his legacy. Now here's what I'm very confident of this morning. I have not said anything so far that you've never heard before, right? Nobody's out there going, this man is a genius, right? You, you are not taking notes going, he's brilliant, he's brilliant. I mean, we all know nobody's saying that. I'm not saying anything that you, you have not heard before. I'm not, this isn't new information, this isn't unique. And if you're a teenager or a college student, you're probably thinking to yourself, man, this is exactly how my mom talks to me. This is exactly the kind of things my dad's been saying to me. Listen, this is not rocket science. It's not new. It's not necessarily unique. The question is, why don't we do this? We all have enough stories of, I should have seen it coming. I should have seen it coming. And all of us would probably agree, I bet somebody in our life saw it coming. I bet there was somebody that saw what was about to happen and could have warned me and given me some insight. Why didn't I listen? And why didn't anybody feel like they had my permission to come and speak into my life? Why do we do this? Why do we keep this? Why, how do we keep it from happening again? We all know that decision-making gets full of emotion and emotion fogs our decision-making. So why are we, especially some of us men, men, I'm going to pick on us for a minute, women make fun of us because we refuse to stop and ask for directions. We will not stop the car and ask for directions, right? And women sit over there on the other side and they just shake their head and they whisper under their breath, I don't know why he just won't stop and ask for directions. But you know better than to say it out loud because you don't want World War III, right? And here's the thing, men. 
Not only are we that way about the car, we're that way in just about every area of our life. We just simply will not ask for support or help, especially from the people that are closest to us, the people that know us the best and probably could help us the most. So why would we ignore a principle that is so apparent that, that we have benefited from? And I think there are a couple of reasons, and one of them is we already know what the wise person is going to say, and we just don't want to hear it. I know what they're going to say. I don't want to do that. I mean, didn't we go from age 12 to age 20 thinking like that? Oh, I'm not asking mom. I know what mom would say. I'm not doing that. I know what my dad would say. That's stupid. I'm not doing what dad would say. Brett, I'll tell you why I don't ask anybody for advice, because I know what they're going to tell me, and I don't want to hear what they're going to tell me. Now, Solomon... The wise guy did not take his own advice, and he ended up making some terrible decisions. Solomon said, the person who knows what to do um, and, and still does it, that, what does he call him? He calls him a fool. He knows what he should do, and he doesn't do it, or he knows what he shouldn't do, and he goes in and does that. calls him a fool. A fool knows the difference between right and wrong and just chooses to do what is wrong. That, you're just a fool if you do that. So if you're in the middle of a decision right now, and you, you already know, you know what the wise people in your world would say about the decision that you are getting ready to make. Your wife, your boss, your, your husband, your best friend, your, your dad, they would tell you, hey, don't do that. <laughs> you're a fool if you do that, and you've got people around you saying, hey, I don't think I would do that if I were you. The other reason we don't do this, we don't think it's anybody's business right? It's none of your business. It's my money. It's my marriage. It's my kids, my job, my career, my company. It's nobody else's business. I'm not going to ask anybody for advice. I don't even want to read your stupid emails. Don't, I don't want to read your book. I'll make this decision. Leave me alone. This is none of your business. Just shut up. How many times have you said this? This is my decision. I have to do this myself. Another problem with that is private decisions have public consequences. Listen, what's decided in private doesn't stay private. Private decisions don't stay private. Personal decisions impact more than just your person, especially if you're married, especially if you're a parent. Every public scandal that comes to light started with a private decision. Somebody mulling something over, trying to figure out in their head. All of them started that way. Private decisions. Every embarrassing thing, every scandal that, that bubbles to the surface about a politician or a preacher or a, a parent or a teacher or somebody like that, it all started with a private, personal decision private decisions have public consequences now that's not new information either you're not out there going brett's a genius and yet there's still something in us that, that will say i'm smart enough to figure this out on my own i can do this by myself what is that thing the old testament and the new testament and common sense gives us one word for that pride it's pride i don't need to be told what to do nobody's going to tell me what to do i'm 17 years old 
I'm old enough to make my own decisions. Now listen, I'm not picking on you if you're 17. Because at 22, I was saying things like that. At 31, I was saying things like that. At 47, I was saying things like that. At 55, I was saying things. I'm still saying stupid things like that. I don't need anybody's help. I can do this on my own. I know what decision I need to make. So if you're 17, I'm not putting you down. Whatever age you are, you're going to look back on whatever season and you're going to say, what was I thinking? How could I have been so stupid? Solomon said, where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those and with those who take advice. Two statements and then we'll wrap everything up, okay? Two statements. Success is intoxicating. Failure is humiliating. This goes to the root of explaining why we resist outside counsel. If you're super successful, the way the world works, if you're super successful, if you get really rich, the way the world works is everybody else just thinks you know everything about everything. Now, I've known some people who have a lot of money, and I've known some people who have a lot of money who are very humble and don't fall into this trap. But I've also seen some very wealthy people who, because they were wealthy, thought they knew everything about everything, and and you couldn't give them advice. They thought they knew everything. They didn't want to hear it from anybody else. And everybody else just thought, well, I'm not going to say anything to them. They certainly would know more than me. Look how much money they've got. Why in the world would they seek advice about anything? I mean, you had parents. You don't need to read a book on parenting. You had parents. You were a kid once. You don't need to read a book on parenting. You, you were a kid once. You know all about parenting. I had surgery one time. I don't need a... Well, wait a minute. That doesn't work, does it? <laughs> Just because you've had surgery doesn't mean you know how to do surgery. That's the point. Success will suck you into thinking that you are an expert on all kinds of things when in fact you're not. And you will naturally resist outside input, inviting feedback. You will resist counsel and you will certainly resist going to counseling because your pride will get in the way and it will say, I don't need that. The flip side is true as well. Failure is humiliating. Maybe the worst thing for a man to feel, and I, ladies, this may be true of you too, I don't know, I just know, I know how it is for me. And most men I know, and this is what I can tell you. The worst feeling we can have as men is the feeling of inadequacy. We hate it. We hate it. We feel such a pressure to be so good at so many things. And when there's an area where we're weak or there's an area where we feel inadequate, it's just, we are, and here's the thing, we will naturally resist any counsel toward that thing in which we are inadequate. We don't want to hear it. And so, ladies, if you've ever done this for your husband, if you've ever had like a CD or an MP3 or something, and you're like, oh, he needs to hear this. I'm going to leave this out on the counter. And, and he can pick that up and listen to that in the car. That'll help him. Oh, he, he needs to, ah, Lord Jesus, just help him to take that and put that. Don't he, he doesn't even need to be asking any questions. Let him do it and him not even know why he's doing it. Just help him to hear this. And it has something to do with his inadequacies. You don't want to hear that. I love my wife, Dee Dee. And she loves me, and I'm telling you, bless her heart. She is my biggest champion, my biggest encourager, my best friend. I mean, she, 
She's amazing. And she knows what my inadequacies are. We've talked about them at length. We talk about them a lot. Once in a while, she's, she's, she's great at reading articles. She reads all the time. She'll come across an article, and she'll email it to me, and it'll have to do with one of my inadequacies. And I'll open the email, and I'll see what it's about, and I'll think, bless her heart. <laughs> and I'll read it, but it hurts. It's not fun to read and get counsel on things that you know you're not good at. I've gone to leadership conferences. There's certain parts of leadership I get. There's certain parts of leadership I am horrible at, and I can't get better. I've tried. I've prayed. God help me. And whenever I'm in a, count, a conference and they start talking about the stuff that I'm inadequate at, I just, I want to I get my phone out. I want to read Twitter. I want to do anything other than hear about that area that I'm not very good in. But if you're talking about something I'm good at, oh, I'm all ears. Give, give me, I want to buy that CD. Give me that book. I want to read that. But not the areas where I'm inadequate. Do you know what that is? That's pride. It's pride. And all of that will undermine your success. That's what happened to Solomon. Here's our problem. Success is intoxicating. Woo! I know everything. I've been successful. I know everything. Failure is humiliating. I don't want to talk about that. I'm not very good at that. It's, I'm not going to read that stupid book. Don't give me your CD or your streaming thing. Don't tell me to watch, listen to this podcast. I'm not going to listen to that because I'm not very good at that. I want to feel good about myself. And God says, no, no. I didn't design you that way. I created you for community. You need community. I want to just stop for a minute. I want to say something to you. This, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. You guys have been coming back to church. Uh, after COVID, you had a decision to make. Are we just going to, are we going to get lazy now and not go back to church? Or are we going to continue to go to church? Are we going to watch online and just, you know, we, we, we can go to church online but you haven't done that. You've come back to church. Listen, you, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you for coming back to church. This is community and you need this. You need hugs from each other. You need encouragement. You need to sing songs together. You need to pray together, take communion, hear a sermon. You need that stuff. You need to walk out of here feeling like it's not just you against the world, that you got an army with you. You need that. And so I, I just... Yeah. I stand and salute you for coming to church. It's important. It's important. You'll make better decisions that way. And God says, listen, you need that. There's a reason I gave you two ears and one mouth. Shut up and listen. Right? Just shut up and listen. We talk too much. I was around somebody recently, and I just was thinking to myself, this person needs to up <laughs> because where there is conflict there is pride i should have seen it coming i should have seen it coming i should have seen it coming i guarantee you somebody saw it coming somebody can see what you cannot see let me take that a step further somebody can see what you're pretending not to see oh you see it but you're pretending not to see it because if you pretend not to see it, it's going to allow you to make this decision that you really want to make. And the moment you acknowledge that thing that you're pretending not to see, that somebody else says, hey, what about this? And you go, oh, 
And now you're ticked off. Because now you can't make the decision that you wanted to make. Are you willing to invite that person into your decision making? Or are you going to be a fool and pretend not to see that thing that's screaming at you, don't make this decision this way, and make it anyway and be sorry? Are you going to invite them in? Wise people know that they are not the, that, that things get clouded, that things get foggy. They know they need to bring somebody in who can see. They've got a better view. They can see through all the obstacles. They're not tainted by all the emotion. Wise people know when emotion and appetites have gotten in the way and they get so inflamed that a better decision becomes very hard to make. So it's really wise to invite somebody else in and say, what do you see? And listen. So in light of your past experiences, in light of your current circumstances, in light of your future hopes and dreams, listen, listen. And ask the question, help me decide what is the wise thing to do. Now, I'm going to pray. We're done. I'm going to pray. I want to tell you, be praying for Miss Shelby. She, she's been sick this week. Um, that's the reason she didn't lead worship this morning. She's just not feeling good. So be praying for her. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and then Tracy's going to come out and give you some announcements, and we'll be dismissed, all right? Father, <clears throat> This is such a good question, and the, 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 the Proverbs that we read today, the life of Solomon is so instructive for us. And Lord, we now go out into a world that offers us all kinds of things. We have all kinds of decisions to make. Father, help us to be wise people. Help us to listen to those around us who may see things we don't see. Help us to be mature. Humble us. Help us to not have this pride thing going on. Give us eyes to see a true circumstance to take as much emotion out of it as we can to listen to wise people and to make a better decision based on, in light of my past experience, current circumstances, future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing for me to do? I pray, Father, that you would drill that down into us. I pray it in Jesus' name. All God's people said.